And hello, we are here for the Music Prophet. So today we have a change of pace. We've had some rap, we've had some folk music, and we're going to a whole other genre today with some jazz. And I'm really stoked because there's a huge jazz scene in Sudbury and there's a lot of talent, but some people just don't know it exists until we, until you show it to them. So our guest today is Alex. So tell us about what instrument you play and sort of just give a, a breakdown of who you are. Uh, so I've, I've been playing drums since I've been 18 years old. Uh, I've played in a few like, different indie rock bands back home from the kind of Tangshi and Midland area. And uh, I moved up to Sudbury to go to school. Didn't know anybody. Didn't... Uh, didn't really know how to get into the scene here. And I heard from Alan Walsh that they didn't have a drummer for the Laurentian Jazz Combo. So I went over there and started playing with them. And, uh, didn't know anything about jazz at the time. I mean, I still feel like I don't really know that much. But uh, um, yeah, I just kept doing it and it just really grew on me. I love doing it. So. Yeah, I mean, well, what was the what was the start though? What got you into drums and not like a brass or woodwind? Oh, um, so my grandma was a music teacher at the elementary school back home in La Fontaine, and um, I don't know. I just went to the drums as a little kid. So she showed me a few things. I was probably like three years old, but then she retired the, the year I started elementary school. So then the new teacher. Didn't let anybody play the drums. Uh, so my parents, I guess, weren't uh, loaded or anything, so they weren't able to afford a drum kit for me. And there was a piano at the house, so kind of got forced to do that for a little while. But yeah, after 15 years, I I got my own kit and got into it again. And now you're here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you sort of because before the show, you were also talking about how jazz wasn't always a natural genre like indie rock was sort of your thing yeah that that's because i guess i played a lot of like zeppelin like hendrix stuff like that that's how i learned to play just like put like whatever rock radio station was on and just play along and see what i could learn yeah yeah that's where to start right i mean i i when i think back to when i tried to learn guitar you just do songs of covers and rock music is the easiest to learn mm-hmm it's kind of, but, and do, but what, how is it, what was that like though? Like, did, was there certain songs that you heard the drum fills and you said, I want to do that or? Um, I think, I think what like, uh, reignited my interest for playing drums was, uh, a Led Zeppelin DVD that I got for Christmas when I was like, I don't know, 13 or so. And, uh, John, John Bonham does his solo in Moby Dick and I was just blown away. That's all it took, I guess. Because, yeah, I mean, it's pretty... The technicality of the drumming in Led Zeppelin is legendary by its own. Yeah, he's just, like, he grooves really hard, but he's got chops, too. It's pretty cool. Good combination of uh, things to have. Are there any other sort of other rock musicians or bands that you've looked up to drumming-wise? Yeah, like I, I mentioned uh, Hendrix earlier, like Mitch Mitchells and... Uh, I actually forgot the name of 
uh, Buddy Miles, I think, maybe, or is that, maybe that's a guitar player. I'm probably mixing up names here. But, uh, yeah, no, Mitch Mitchell's for sure, because he just had this energy and just constant filling and some similar to, like, uh, Keith Moon of The Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, I admired that, but with time, I started to realize it wasn't always about just hitting stuff a lot and fast and not not to say that they're not musical players in their own right, but yeah. Which but actually that's a that is a good point because when it gets comes to metal music it's very technical. Mm-hmm. But it's also there's quite a few bands that use drums to create the noise and that way. So where is that balance between drumming to create noise and creating groove? I suppose that uh, that depends on the listener. <laughs> yeah, it's uh because yeah, it's it's it would be a hard balance of what you think is good or not. Yeah, I guess. Um, well, I mean, especially when I was a younger player, um, I just thought you know, like if, if I had a drum fill, it's like, all right, how many notes can I fit in there? Like, how fast can I? But it's really. Really not about that. Yeah. Because it would come down to the listener experience, too. Mm -hmm. I guess it's all about, well, first time you had beer and wine, for example, like you may not have enjoyed it, but it could grow on you, right? I guess it's the same idea. Yeah, the analogy works. (laughs) You start off slow, and then eventually you find out that you don't, need that many notes and it's not fun after a while yeah sure or even from a listener's perspective i mean like do you get initiated to it maybe you're not into it at first but in time you may be maybe not but mm-hmm. and when it comes to but that's rock but when it with jazz a lot of the time there are there are fills and mm-hmm. there's a lot of empty space so did that transition to jazz music as well, that realization? Um, I guess in a sense, the way I looked at fills before and such is kind of like how jazz musicians are always playing, if that makes any sense. I just mean like that uh, they have more than one thing going on. Like it's not, they're not just keeping time and they're doing a fill. It's like kind of both at the same time, if that really makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a simultaneous. Is what they call it. Sorry. No, yeah, you're right. It's it is a simultaneous thing. Yeah. So just I had to really, I guess, work on independence. Um, how hard I'm hitting stuff. Where I'm hitting, where I'm setting accents and such, and like why is putting mm-hmm. more purpose behind the, the playing or the notes being played, I should say. Right, because the intention is a lot of what the audience can see as well. Or rather, the audience can see your intention with. Uh, maybe that, and just, I mean, it's about, I guess, shaping the music and not just being one straight line, right? Giving it, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a architecture or something, you know, like a, all these buildings with all these angles and ups and downs and kind of that idea. Yeah, I like that analogy. It's kind of nice, and for people that are listening to, that's a really good way for them to think about it. 
because with jazz, I mean, unless you enjoy music and you know the technical side of it, sometimes it can be hard to get into. Yeah, and that's also like artist depending, and like I guess like the subgenre of jazz. There's just so so much that is considered jazz, right? So I th- I think there's something out there for everyone, really. So what's your go-to then? Oh me, I, I like I like bebop a lot. Yeah. And was that like is that has that always been your go-to? Uh, I mean, generally, yeah. I don't know, most of the stuff I listen to, I think, is from, say, 50s to maybe the 80s. I don't listen to as much modern stuff as I probably should. But it happens. I mean, there's also, there's a lot that's coming out now that's... Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, speaking of modern, I am going to see uh, Kamasi Washington on Tuesday in Toronto with Herbie Hancock. I thought they were playing together, but separate, still cool though. I mean, it would be kind of, because that'd be sort of an old and new legend. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Although some people, some of the jazz guys don't like Kamasi. They say like that he's not, doesn't follow like the lineage, the progression of, uh, it's the evolution of jazz in a sense. But So what's your stance on it? I don't know. I mean, if it sounds, if people enjoy it, then like whatever. What, what's the what's the big deal with like all these labels and stuff? I don't know. Yeah, no, it is a really good way to think about it because if the audience or listener enjoys the music, it doesn't really matter, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the end result, too. I've always found that with art in general. That it... All that really matters is that the person experiencing it is enjoying it, and that's why you're making it. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure that Kamasi is more of like a, like a hip-hop sort of background. So, it, I don't know, just brings an interesting twist to things. But, actually, but what is your background, like your family oh, heritage? I got, I got a mix. Actually... Funny, I did. I just said German. There's like a tiny little bit in there: Italian, Irish, French, Ojibwe. Yeah. yeah, because you're involved with a lot of like the powwows and a lot of the Ojibwe culture is sort of. Uh, I mean, a little bit. I, I helped with the uh, organizing of the one we had at Laurentian this year. Um, other than that, I've been to a few, like I've some firekeeping and stuff. I don't know. Does that does that influence your creativity a bit to channel that? Do you find? Mm. Honestly, I've never really thought about that, so I'm gonna say no. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. It's just like it's something that's more new to me. It's not something I grew up with. It's not like like a huge part of my life. Yeah. Right, because as a kid, you don't really notice it, and. No. I just mean like the whole indigenous side of things, like I don't know, something that uh, is more recent and uh, just kind of looking into it and trying to figure stuff out because, yeah, it's been a few generations now and it's been kind of gone, so. Right. It sort of of reminds me of Tom Wilson. 
when he came to Wordstock, and he's played to Northern Lights too, and over the years, and his last album was actually him exploring his uh, Ojibwa root heritage and trying to find his mother and parents, which created an entire album of songs, which is pretty incredible because he's adopted, I believe. But it's really interesting. So that's why I was kind of curious if, I mean, but do you even like, but even musically, do you, do you find that French and like the more your background cultures, the music of that has influenced your playing now? Uh, actually, yeah, a little bit, just like the French traditional kind of music uh, and me being uh, part of huge jazz now. I mean, it's, it's that's, that's helped for sure. How is the experience of playing with Will and the guys playing, like playing gypsy jazz? Um, I think the trickiest part was to get used to playing with the loop pedal. Because once Eric gets to solo, he, he sets the guitar in the loop, so it just goes over and over, right? And you can solo for that. And, I don't know. I guess it's just hard because it's the same thing. So you gotta think of ways to be creative and not just keep repeating same kind of pattern so yeah because it's technical but it's also you have to have the awareness of the entire of both at the same time mm-hmm. but they, they're really good at listening so I mean I kind of do what I want mm-hmm. what got you like what was the what was the start to getting into playing with them through well will had seen me play with uh jacob we had been talking a little while about you know, getting a band together and that's with the, the starlet trio or jacob starlet trio starling yeah uh, i mean we've done we actually played as a quintet for like a good year saxophone and another guitarist as well um, and it ended up being mostly trio stuff for, for a couple of years but um, anyways yeah will Will was looking to start some kind of funk band, and uh, me and we, we started a, a, a secret project, which I'm not supposed to say anything about, but um, it's not really funk, but I mean, it's it's groovy, and I think it, by September we'll probably start playing some shows. So that'll be fun, then. That'll be a nice little change from pace. Yeah. i start playing rock music again, then. Why not? You played with Sex and Summer for a while too mm-hmm. in Sudbury and your indie background, so it'll be nice to go back to Roots. When you go from a jam session playing something that's funk or indie rock based, and then you leave the house and you go to another jam session that's gypsy jazz, is that a mindset shift or what is what is it that gets you in the right headspace? Well, I've had, I've had nights where I do like a jazz thing and then immediately go to like the townhouse and do a rock thing and uh different feeling. I don't I don't know. Kinda just do it. Cause you have to, yeah. I guess. Everything kinda just falls into place when I get there, I don't know. Yeah, you have I mean as a drummer, you don't really have the option to <laughs> Yeah. You're the rhythm for everyone, so but that's also that's kind of that's an interesting jumping point because when it like when you make a mistake, do you you can can you do you cover it up or I'll try my best. I mean sometimes it works, 
sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I think it didn't work and it did, or vice versa. You know? Yeah, that also depends on the listener. <laughs> if they can tell or not. Yeah. No, it's just I have this bad tendency of uh, making a face when I uh, when I mess up, just because I get upset. I'm like, ah. And so the listener can watch and see that face, and they're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, why did you do that? Like, it sounded fine. Which makes sense, unless they're very technical, then they wouldn't catch it, or mm-hmm. they don't know the song timing, so. Mm-hmm. Just not musicians, yeah. Yeah, but is that is that common? Within jazz, is it very common for people to make mistakes throughout? I mean, I'd say so. Yeah, there's a because you know a lot of times you're kind of just playing ideas that are coming to you on the, on the spot. Maybe um, I, I guess I guess the big thing with jazz is kind of and this is what I've heard from a lot of people. And this is how I see it. Uh, is like just kind of trying to always cover up your mistakes. In, in it's interesting. Hmm. That is an interesting quote because then it just makes makes you really look at jazz as a whole. But it's what it feels too. And I mean, uh, during the break, we were talking about jazz music and how before the show, I was curious what it would be like to have eight minute songs instead of short what three or four minute songs because you can't cut out a jazz song because there's so many fills, so many spaces you fill up. But yeah. within the yeah, miss miss someone's solo. Could be a moment in there that uh, make or break it for you, you know. Right, there could be a moment at six and a half minutes that's just a beautiful solo. That's it. I, was, I remember listening to uh, it was Bubbles by Herbie Hancock on the album Man Child, and it, it kind of just lightly builds for about three minutes. And then there's just this one saxophone line that lasts just like a few bars, and it's pretty much it. But when that line comes in, oh my god, it, it hit me, you know, like I, I felt it. Yeah, that was your moment after five minutes of build up. That was the one. Yeah. Yeah, it's always it's always fascinating me because. Uh, and I think, I feel like people listening have probably the same effect or the same approach to it is that, you know, like when you start listening to jazz, it sounds very similar. It's very repetitive. But when you really get if, into it and even the International Jazz Day at the Fromagerie, I really started paying attention to individual instruments. And it's incredible how they all work separately to make one big sound. Mm-hmm. You saying that made me think of a conversation I had with my friend uh, Josh Hubert. Um, he was talking about how a lot of the really good jazz tunes that just any tune really, any any piece of music that kind of withstood the test of time, I believe it's like where where everything kind of sounds as one versus uh, all the instruments kind of being separate. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's in result is you want to sound you want to have one final thing that everyone clings to I guess just could say that and it's different compared to rock music where 
they do favor guitar solos or drum solos. That's that's their go-to. Yeah. Occasional saxophone solo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, every now and then, a band pulls in a a featured saxophonist yeah. just for about thirty seconds of the track, and that's it. Yeah. Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. Or Najwan has their flute player. Uh, or Mark um, Mark Najwan, he's played he played Northern Lights, I believe, but his band is incredible and has a flute player that she fills in space that the rest of the band leaves. Okay, and it's great because it's so subtle like that. Nice. It's not a it's not a forced sound. It's just the flute kicks in every now and then, and you just really appreciate it. It's almost it's interesting, but it's it's kind of like that like electric guitar in a band where they go for a solo, you hear it, and then it fades out. Hmm. I suppose, I mean, it's like if you over-say or overdo something, it loses its effect, right? So I guess, yeah, like you're saying, it just being kind of here and there and subtle is it's doing exactly what its intention was, you know? Not just filling up for the sake of filling up sound. Yeah. What is there a project that you've worked in that sort of developed that skill set for you? Or that developed that knowledge? Mm, not not in particular. It's mainly just just a lot of little moments and just talking to people and listening to other players and comparing myself to to who I think are like greats yeah yeah makes sense right because you started jazz sort of unintentionally right yeah kind of yeah I didn't even like jazz before <laughs> like, I remember going to my uncle's wedding when I was probably like 15 or so we had a big band playing and I was just it's like what is this just not into it it's like why I just wanted to leave, but I mean, now I'd be stoked if I showed up at a wedding and they had a big band. <laughs> it's just a completely different mm-hmm. approach to it. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I think even without going to the wedding and playing in the combo, like I probably would have eventually gone into jazz just because a lot of the guys that I was looking up to, I was starting to look at who their idols were kind of going back that way and they were always jazz guys so. yeah because that's the way that I mean that's where the most educational and technical drumming comes in right that's funny that's the fact it's a big band at a wedding that's just in his house too was he a musician? Was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a trombonist. Mm. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, though. Uh, so I guess, I mean, speaking of big band and sort of icons, uh, you mentioned that Herbie Hancock is your go-to icon. Well, not necessarily, but... 
Sorry. Well, who? So actually, that's that's a good point. Like, what are some? Who are the people that you try to imitate and learn from? Um. Although I've been told before by somebody that uh, my playing didn't exactly sound like it, uh, Elvin Jones has been a pretty big influence on me. Uh, into Roy Haynes too. I know those, those are some pretty big guys I listen to right now. Uh, Terry Clark from Toronto. You know, I mean, I could name off just a bunch of guys, but like that, yeah, that's who I've been listening to recently. Right? I mean, you could do like you could do that cliche interview thing where you just name off like the twelve names and then yeah. just. <laughs> Here are 12 people that I recently saw somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, but yeah, that's... Um, that It makes it different. Like, having those to model and even even if it, you might not directly sound like it, you, you're, if when you aspire to sound like a person, then you definitely do... Like, you, can, you grow as a person, right? I think so, yeah. That's it. I mean, yeah. For for not learning, then you're not growing. That was fun. I'm really glad that Alex was able to come on today and give us a breakdown of drumming and jazz, and also just kind of when it comes to the jazz scene. Alex is a really good way to start getting into it and really start to introduce yourself to jazz, especially and find it. Thank you. <laughs> and. Uh, so tell us where we can find you, though, and what you're working on. Uh, well, i got a few different projects on the go, but uh, the one that I perform with weekly right now is uh, Hugh Jazz. They've been together for a long time. Um, I just joined them at the beginning of summer. So we're at the townhouse every Wednesday night from 7 to 10 p.m. No Perfect. Yeah. And so and when you guys want jazz and you want to see him drumming, you can find him there. Thanks for listening to The Music Prophet, and we'll see you next week.